So, easy question. What is the most important meal of the day? The answer is yes. Yes. (laughs) Ice cream. Next one is the most important. Right. They say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, that you should get your day started off right. They say you should eat like a king for breakfast, like a prince for lunch, and like a pauper for dinner. What ifs, you know? But breakfast, I mean, the word itself. Let's talk about the word itself for a minute. Breakfast. Break the fast. Right? So the fast is while you were sleeping, hopefully. Hopefully you weren't eating while you were sleeping. If y'all figured out how to do that, don't let me know because I don't need that. (laughs) Anywho, uh, you break the fast. The fast is that period between the last time you ate and that next morning and sleep seven, eight hours, which you should. This is an early morning health bulletin for you. You Anyway. So get you some good sleep, you wake up and you eat, and the first thing you eat is breakfast. You break the fast. Now, fast. How do you feel about that word? Fast. It is better than slow if you're in certain situations. What Fasting, not eating food on purpose for a period of time. For different reasons. There are physical reasons. Some people fast for physical reasons. Um, there's a big thing going on now. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of a guided fast. You eat for like eight hours during the day and then you don't eat for 16 hours. To There's something your body does during the fast and make sure you cut it off at a certain period of time. Some people do that for physical reasons. Of course, there are spiritual fasts. Different religions fast, go without different things right now. Our Roman Catholic friends are in the middle of Lent where they give up at least meat for 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Resurrection Sunday, what they call Easter. Fasting. What is fasting all about? Are you a faster? Do you fast? Should you fast? How should you fast? When should you fast? Why should you fast? Well... We're going to figure that out today. we got some specific and some non-specific directions that we're going to see from Jesus this morning on the subject of fasting. And then after we have our message, we're going to break our fast and we're going to go back and eat lunch. So just a little public service, if you can, stay with us and eat and break your fast with lunch. I don't know. So anyway... Let me recap real quick where we've been. We are in the Gospel of Matthew, um, where we are seeing Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, presented as the King, the promised King of Israel that will fill David's throne. David had a covenant made with him by God that somebody from his bloodline would be king forever, but he would never fail to have somebody from his bloodline seated on the throne of Israel. Jesus is presented clearly in the book of Matthew as that king. And we've seen his birth foretold. We've seen his birth. We've seen him flee to Egypt when he was an infant. We saw him come back. He moved to Nazareth. He revealed himself. He went into the desert after he was baptized. He was tempted by the devil. 
Then he began healing and preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. And then he started choosing disciples. And that brought us to chapter 5 where we started the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we are smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We are in the middle of chapter 6, <clears throat> which is the middle chapter. And that's going to play an important role in what we look at today. Okay, So Jesus is teaching His disciples, and He's talking about true righteousness versus an external righteousness. And He says, and we'll talk about this later in, in Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's what this whole sermon is about. And the last few weeks, we've been looking at what it means to give. And then for a couple of weeks, we've talked about what it means to pray. And today, we're going to look, about, look at what it means to fast. And there's certain things not to do, and there's certain things to do. And that's what we want to look at today. So if you would stand, I'm not going to let you off. Don't let you all off this morning during the public reading. I'm not going to let you off. Stand up, people, if you can. And um, receive... Receive the very words of God. We stand because we respect God. We respect His Word. We respect His people. And during the public reading, I want you to remember these are God's words. So, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But... When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, we do trust you with our lives. We trust you with this time. We trust you with your word. We trust your spirit to teach us, instruct us, convict us, draw us closer to you. And God... If there is anyone here this morning who does not know what it means to be saved, who have not been born again, Father, by the power of Your Spirit, convict them of their sins. Show them their need for a Savior and show them Jesus so that they may know Him as that Savior. Convict us all. Build us up. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Three big verses, right? Yeah. All right. Buckle up. Here we go. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Okay, so we see the same structure here that we've seen in the previous sections on giving and praying. Don't give, don't pray, don't fast a certain way. And all three have said, when you do these things, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. And we'll look at how in a minute, but let's address when first. Jesus says, when you fast. Now again, same thing as what He said for giving and praying. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. It's not a matter of if you do, but when you do. Don read this morning... They were kind of getting on Jesus and His disciples for not fasting while Jesus was there. And Jesus said, how can they fast while the bridegroom's here? There will come a time when the bridegroom is gone. Then they will fast. And so here He's saying, when you fast. So when should we fast? That's a pretty tricky question. Okay? 
There's a bunch of examples of people fasting in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament. Just briefly and very briefly, Moses, David, Elijah, Jesus, Paul, and many others are said to have fasted at certain times in the biblical narrative. So we see plenty of examples of it. But when does the Bible say that we should fast? Well, there's actually only one fast commanded in the Bible. And let me say this real quick. Jesus, God, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, Blessed Trinity. When God gave the Old Testament law, He commanded a lot of feast days and one fast day a year. It's interesting. One fast day. He gives plenty of directions on feasts and holy days, and one of those is a fast, and that's the Day of Atonement. Let me, Leviticus 16, 29 through 31. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. Now that phrase, afflict yourselves, means to fast to forego food, and to focus on your need for forgiveness for your sins. And it's a denial of the physical to address the spiritual. And it was for one day out of the year, every man, woman, and child. So in the nation Israel, for that one day a year, nobody ate. Them, the sojourner among them, nobody. There was no food served on the day of atonement. Okay? (coughs) Excuse me. So, my question is, is that for us? And the answer is no, it's not. We are not civic, national Israel. So we don't participate in their civic, national laws or observances. Okay? And somebody would argue with me on that. I'd be willing to talk to you about it. Paul says this, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, to the Gentile believers in Colossae. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay? Listen, New Testament believers, we are not to turn into Jews so that we can worship God better. Okay? That's exactly what Paul was dealing with in his time. He would come in and preach the gospel. These Gentile, non-Jewish people would believe and they would be born again. And then after Paul left, the Judaizers would come. Judaizers. Sounds like something uh, Ernest T. Bass would say. That's them Judaizers. Judy, Judy, Judy. The Judaizers would come in behind Paul and say, Oh, Paul had it about half right. You guys need to be sure you're circumcised, keep the Jewish festivals, keep the Jewish law, and then you'll be doing right. So Paul writes back and says, no, 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 never. No, you don't have to do that because that's not not for y'all. That's for the Jews. So you don't have to do that. So Paul was fighting these Judaizers who were trying to say, you've got to keep the Jewish law. So he says here to these new Christians who were not Jews, he says the goal of your worship isn't keeping laws and festivals, but instead your worship should be focused on Christ who was the fulfillment of all these things, which were types and shadows of Him anyway. So we'll just leave that there right now and come back to the thought later. So, back then to when we fast. 
I mentioned that there are examples of people fasting in the Bible. So my question is, if they were fasting, were they keeping the Day of Atonement in their fasts? And the answer is no. That's not what's being referenced in the fast in almost all of them. Um, we look to Jesus. Okay, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat for that time period. He wasn't doing that on the Day of Atonement. He was in the wilderness preparing himself to be tempted by the devil. Okay? So should we go into the wilderness and fast for 40 days and 40 nights to prepare ourselves to be tempted by the devil? No. That was for Jesus in his time, his specific circumstance, and that's what he chose to do, led by the Spirit. So, so then, what's it all about? How, what do we do with this? The easiest way of understanding it is that Jesus was doing what we said earlier about the Day of Atonement. He was denying the physical in order to focus on the spiritual. He was denying the physical in order to focus on the spiritual. He was disciplining his flesh and building up his spirit. And that's the basic premise that we can garner from all this. Listen to me. The Bible does not tell you when and how to fast specifically. There are going to be some general guidelines that we can look at and that we will look at later, but the Bible does not say fast at this day for this long, denying yourself of this. The Bible does not tell you how to do this specifically. Okay, let's establish that up front. There are no commands, nor are there prescriptions for how to do it. But we do see the value of it and some of the rewards of it, which we'll talk about later too. Daniel fasted. And he didn't eat the king's meat. He didn't want to defile himself with what the king was offering, which was not ritually clean for him. So now people are doing the Daniel fast. Anybody heard of anybody doing the Daniel fast? Nothing wrong with it. Eh. Is it biblically prescribed? No. It's not. Lent. People are doing it. Is it biblically prescribed? No. Is it wrong to do it? No. Is it biblically prescribed? No. Okay, I just want to be as clear as I can about this, okay? <clears throat> Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights twice when he went up on the mountain and received the Word of God. So he was in the very presence of God. He didn't eat or drink. And he did it so that he could receive the Word of God. We already said Jesus did it to prepare for his confrontation with the devil. Paul spoke of disciplining his body and making it his slave. And all of these are reasons to fast. Okay? for a time of not defiling yourself with certain things that, you know, maybe you eat too much junk food. Maybe deny yourself that junk food for a period of time. Maybe you're trying to really get your spirit built up to fight some temptation. That's a good time to fast. Maybe you just need to discipline your body, make it your slave. That's a good time to fast. All these are good reasons to fast. But there are no clear commands of the when to do it in the Bible. So it seems to me that it's on an as-needed basis, which means it's kind of up to you to determine that. I think I need to fast. Well, why would I do that? So that I can hear God clearer, so that I can understand the Word better, so that I can kind of discipline my flesh. This is going to be mostly up to you. So let's move on from the when for now and look at what else Jesus says in this verse, which is mostly about how not to fast. Let's go back to 6.16. Look at the verse again. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, 
I say to you, they have received their reward. So we are not to fast like the hypocrites fast. Remember the word hypocrite meant actor, and those actors primarily used masks. So they didn't even have to like do facial expressions. They just wore the sad mask, even though they didn't literally, but the word meant one who wears a mask. So you weren't really seeing the face of the actor. You were seeing the mask and what it portrayed. And here in our verse, the mask of the fasting hypocrite was what? It was gloomy. It was disfigured. Now, can you just imagine these guys walking around fasting and they're going, what's the matter, brother? Oh, I'm just fasting. I haven't eaten since last night. Dude, it's, it's like... Nine in the morning. Yeah. You know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but it ain't that big a deal. But, but they did this on purpose. They were gloomy. They were sullen. They were sad. They disfigured their faces so that people would say, oh, this poor, fasting, self-denying, hungry hypocrite. Isn't that a board game, hungry, hungry hypocrites? <laughs> but they did it so that you would feel sorry for them. Dude is hungry. I can tell. Look at his face. Dude is tore up. He's hungry. And he's choosing to be hungry. Why? Because he's so spiritual. Spiritual people are hungry people. Hungry people are spiritual people. That doesn't always work, by the way. Some of you are like, I feel pretty holy right now. Then, But they did it so that people would see how holy and good they were. But they didn't just look sad. They actually disfigured their faces to be seen by men to be fasting. These guys would actually paint their face to be whiter. They would give it paler to make themselves look bad when they were fasting. They would put ashes on their heads and those ashes would fall down into their faces and into their beards so that people would know that they were in fact fasting. John MacArthur said they wore make down instead of make up. They wanted people to know for sure that they were fasting. It was even said that they were purposeful to fast two days a week on Monday and Thursday. Why Monday and Thursday? Monday and Thursday were market days. That's when everybody was in the public square buying stuff. And so here they are in the midst of all these people. They're at Walmart standing outside with ashes on their heads day after payday. Oh, and they're probably praying, oh, Father. You know, they're praying and ashes falling down. And people are like, dude, there's the, those guys are holy. I could never do that. I would never do that. On market days, when the public square would be so full of people, and so that those square full of people would see their oh-so-pious selves. You might remember uh, Jesus told the story of the Pharisee and the publican praying. Let me visit that real quick. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. That Monday, Thursday fast is probably exactly what he's talking about here. Two times a week, I don't eat. And I disfigure my face and I put ashes on my head so that everybody can see that I'm doing this. So holy and so convenient. Because their goal was what? Look back at Jesus' words. 
For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. That's their goal. And since that was their goal, they were doing a good job. Made down, ashes falling all around them, with plenty of folks to see it out in the wide open. And Jesus says that they get what they're hoping to get. They get seen by others, and that is their reward. And that's all they get. That's all they want. They want to be seen as being religious and pious so other people will hold them in high esteem. They loved the applause of men, and they got it. But all the while, they were missing God's purposes for the spiritual discipline of fasting. So just don't, right? Well, no. Next verse. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So it seems to be that Jesus is endorsing the discipline of fasting. He doesn't go to the other side and say, since that's happening, just don't. Just don't even bother with it. He instead says, but when you fast. Indicating that fasting is a thing that his disciples should practice. Think something they should do. And what instructions does he give them? So do it on this day, in this season, for this long, eating this, not eating this. No. His instructions are, anoint your head, wash your face. Oh, well, thanks for that. (laughs) And we'll talk about these instructions in a second. But first, let's address the lack of other instructions. Again, is there a right day? Is there a right length? Is there a right type, a right time, a right prescription for the disciples fasting? The answer is no. And as there are not instructions in the Old Testament, we'll look at some Old Testament suggestions in application. But since there's not specific instructions outside of the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, or prior to Jesus' teaching to His disciples here, well, there just seems to be a lot of open air here as far as fasting. Fast when you want to, when you feel like you need to, in ways that help you deny your flesh and focus on the Spirit. Just be sure to anoint your head and wash your face. Why? So you look like you normally would look. Like you're living your life in a normal, everyday way. This is not about isolation. It's not about separation, but rather it's about desperation. I was kind of proud of that. Sorry. Okay. Not isolation, not separation, but it's about desperation. But it's inner desperation, not seen by others. So do what you do. Focus on what's needed. Go to work. Take care of the house. Take care of the kids. Take care of what you're doing. And see others the way you always see them so that they will see you the way that they always see you. Other people don't need to know that you're fasting. That's what it boils down to. Fast. Go about your life and don't do anything to make other people think you're fasting. Wash your face. Anoint your head. That means polish mine. Okay? Polish your head. Why? Last verse. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So fast... And do it so that others do not see Hide your fasting. Be quiet. Be covert about it. Be on the DL. Hey, I'm fasting. Shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Nobody else needs to know that you're fasting. Wash your face, anoint your head. That 
your fasting may not be seen by others. Make it a point to be seen as not fasting when you are fasting. At least not to be seen by others. But somebody sees with a capital S. Fast so that your fasting may be seen by whom? By by who? Yes, God, but what does He say? By your Father. Remember Him? Remember your Father? The one who rewards your giving? The one who hears your prayers in the secret place? Him. Fast so that your Father sees your fast. Secret, quiet, unobtrusive, Godward fasts are what God honors. And how does He honor them? It actually says He rewards them. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now do you get that? Your private hidden fast will be seen by God and He will reward that fast. God sees and rewards fasts that aren't seen by others. So the motive is so important. If I want to fast so that others see my fasting and ask me about it and compliment me, well, I'm following this plan that I saw on the internet. Such and such big preacher guy says I should fast this way. So I'm doing it over a period of six days and then I'll take a break and then I'll take another six days where I cut out something else. Stop it! Shut up! Shh. Fast in secret. If you want somebody else's compliments, if you want somebody's encouragement, that's all you're going to get. But if I want to fast so that I can press into God and deny my flesh and feed my spirit, God sees that and rewards it. Now, I know we've seen that phrase three times now in the past few passages. But listen to it again. Listen to me, church. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That word reward means to give back or to recompense, which in this case is a good, in a good sense. You figure that however God sees fit to reward us for our secret fasting is going to be a good reward? Or just, eh, well, that's not really what I wanted, God. I fasted and I wanted something different. You gave me something. This is not what I wanted. I mean, really, do you think God knows how to reward us in a way that is beneficial and good for us? Jesus will say when we get into chapter 7, verse 11, this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Anybody ever got a good gift from their dad on earth? Castle Grayskull? We talked about it Wednesday, right? How much more will God give you good gifts if you're seeking Him? How much more? I think we need to think about this moving forward, especially in our giving, in our praying, and in our fasting. If we know God is going to reward us and we know that His reward is good, why should we not seek that reward? Oh, I'm going to fast. It's going to be so hard. I'm not going to eat. Oh, I don't want to fast. What if it's God? I'm going to do this and you're going to reward me. And you give good gifts. So God, I trust you. I trust you, Jesus. Trust you with my food. Trust you with my life. Trust that you're going to reward me and it's going to be good. We'll talk more about that at the end.
We would be wise to seek that reward. So that's the passage. We're done with the passage. But before we go to application, I want to show you something that I think is both pretty neat and is very important as far as biblical interpretation. Okay? It's called a chiasm. 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 Anybody ever heard that word? C-H-I-A-S-M. Chiasm. We've seen a chiasm over the last few weeks. We just didn't know it. We had to wait till we got finished with it in order to see it. Okay? And a chiasm has to do with how a passage is laid out, how it's set up in its delivery. So remember I said Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are Jesus preaching a sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, being God in the flesh, was a pretty good preacher. He was the best preacher of all time. Okay? He was purposeful in every word that he said and even in the layout of what he was saying. Now, in our day and time, a preacher can use a lot of techniques to convey different thoughts and patterns. Outlines, alliterations, illustrations, pictures, videos, music, a lot of things, okay? On and on and on. Well, Jesus, the ultimate preacher, used a chiasm to show us an important point over the past passages we've looked at in Matthew chapter 6. So, what is a chiasm? So, stay with me, okay? You ready? A chiasm is when you structure your flow of thought in a pyramid type of pattern, Okay? with parallel thoughts on each side of the main point. So you got point A, point B, main point. Parallel point B on the other side, parallel point A on the bottom. Are you with me? A, B, main point, B, A. Remember rhyme patterns that you learned in school? A, A, B, B, A, B, A, B. So line A rhymed with line A. Line B rhymed with line B. So such and such and for such, you know. Well, you can kind of think of a chiasm kind of as a rhyme pattern. But it's a repetition of a thought or a focus in reverse order or sequence. One guy, a guy named Thomas B. Clark, compared a chiasm to a sandwich, which I think was very good. He says it this way, quote, A chiasm organizes themes much like a sandwich. A piece of bread on top, some mustard, a delightful piece of meat, another savory piece of meat, more mustard, and finally another piece of bread on the bottom. So you got bread on the outside, mustard, mustard, meat. Now what's the focus of the sandwich? The meat, Right? There's people that are vegetarians that say, I don't eat meat on my sandwich. Well, then your delightful piece of lettuce is your focus in the sandwich. I don't know. End of quote. Sorry, I ended my quote a long time before that. So uh, does that make sense to you? It's a pattern of thought, then an emphatic point, then a similar thought as the one at the beginning. We generally think that the most important point is the first one or the last one. Not to the Hebrew mind. Okay? The Hebrew mind was looking for the meat in the middle as the most important thing. Okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. And in both Testaments, in the Old and the New Testament, the emphasized thought, the emphasized um, focus was usually there in the middle, sandwiched between similar thoughts. You with me? Come on. Tell me if you're with me. Okay. Because this is important. So, the pyramid thought, A, Apex, A, to make your pyramid, or A, B, Apex, B, A. Okay, actually, i got a picture of this. Oh, there's too much in between. I'm not going to go there yet. Okay. 
So A thoughts are similar, B thoughts are similar, apex. And the Hebrews thought and taught this way a lot. The Gospel of John and the book of 1 John is loaded with chiasms. Hamlet Smith, when we were at the other building, when we were going through John, he kept on saying, chiasm, it's chiasm. This whole chapter is a chiasm. I'm like, would you stop talking about chiasm? Well, he was right. I mean, it is loaded with them because this is how the Jews thought and taught a lot. So in chapter 6 of Matthew, we see this structure in plain view. The first side is don't give like a hypocrite. The apex is don't pray like a hypocrite, but pray this way. And the other side is don't fast like a hypocrite. So what's the focus? Praying. How to not pray and how you should pray. The emphasis is on prayer, and we couldn't put that all together until we saw this thought this week. And you see the emphasis in the amount of time given to the thought of prayer in this passage. If you look at chapter 6, the main focus is on prayer, and you've got these surrounding thoughts on giving and fasting. Okay, So it puts the disciples' prayer, which we looked at last week, in a place of priority and prominence in this part of the teaching. Now, it doesn't make the rest of the teaching unimportant. It just makes the apex part of special importance. It literally screams in the structure, this is important, just by the structure. So take a look at it in full. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 of Matthew chapter 6. Okay, I'm just going to read them, and I want you to see how it's laid out. So first you've got an introduction in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So there's the introductory thought. That's not one of our sides yet. So here you begin the chiasm to show this thought pattern that he just said. Side A is verses 2 through 4. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So that's side one. Now we see the apex, which is our focus on prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So there's the apex, there's the focus. And then the other side of the pyramid, and when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? So that's all one big thought with the main emphasis being on prayer, which makes prayer pretty doggone important. You will give, you will fast. And in the midst of it all, I want you to know how to pray. See what I'm saying here? See the, em- the emphasis, the focus? So, now, seeing that, 
This structure gives prominence to prayer, especially the disciples' prayer. Jesus wanted to emphasize the importance of praying by His taught skeletal outline that we looked at last week. Again, giving and fasting are not unimportant, but the prayer part is especially important. Now watch this. Some people have pointed out that the whole Sermon on the Mount is laid out in a chiastic structure. There's a guy named Jonathan Pennington whose information I found on a website that's davidschrock.com. He's quoting Jonathan Pennington. And he lays out the whole Sermon on the Mount like this. Fwing. Where's it at? Fwing. Okay. So we've kind of got an inverted pyramid here. Stay with me. So you've got A, the frame and the context, which is the end of chapter 4. You've got B, him ascending and sitting. When he saw, he went up on the mountain, disciples came to him. The call to God's people. GR, by the way, is greater righteousness. I'm going to shorten it so that we could fit it on there, okay? The call to God's people was C, greater righteousness in relation to God's law. And then E, the main point, greater righteousness in relation to piety toward God, which is what I just read you basically, 1 through 18. Makes it the centerpiece of the entire sermon. And then you've got D, descending, that, that accent mark means descending thought, which matches up to the prior D, greater righteousness in relation to the world, Descending C, warnings, which matches up to the call to God's people. Descending B, descending in action, which matches up with ascending and sitting. And then descending A, frame and context, gospel of the kingdom, which matches with the first day. You see what I'm saying here? Let me show you an easier picture there. Here's our pyramid, which has a nice little handwritten thing at the top. So you've got, this is the whole Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes, greater righteousness and how it relates to the Torah, greater righteousness and how it relates to piety, the Lord's Prayer, greater righteousness and wealth, which we'll look at next week, greater righteousness and outside relations, which is uh, 6 and into 7. And then at the end of chapter 7, there's two ways which relates to the Beatitudes. You see what I'm doing here? See what's going on here? Why? Why am I doing this? Because what we've covered over the past few weeks... In chapter 6, not doing your religious deeds like hypocrites do is the most important point of the whole Sermon on the Mount. What did we say the theme of the Sermon on the Mount was? We were talking about a greater righteousness as opposed to the external righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 said... Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what we've seen so far in chapter 6, in the areas of giving, praying, and fasting, they show our spiritual life zoomed in to microscopic level. Why are you doing these things? How are you doing them? How should you do them? Because they show you your spiritual health. Am I giving so that people will applaud me? Am I giving to appease my conscience? Am I praying just because I have to? Am I praying in public so that people will pat me on the back and say it was a pretty prayer? Am I fasting so that people will see me? Oh, poor guy's hungry. If I'm doing that, I don't have true righteousness. I'm practicing an external righteousness because mom and dad said I should do this. Or it's what's expected of me. Or, well, this is just what we do as Christians. No! You give, you pray, you fast to be rewarded by your Father who is in heaven. And the anchor for all of it is prayer. And that convicts me. Because it's probably what I do the least of. Well, no, I probably fast less than I... 
pray, but I fast every night when I go to bed, right? It is super duper, duper duper important that we know how to pray and that we're praying for the right reasons, we're praying in the right way, and we're praying in a direction that we want God to reward us because that's saying, God, we got nothing. If you don't do it, it doesn't get done. And it's the same way with your righteousness. I have no righteousness of my own. Zero. None. And so if I'm depending on anything that I've done to achieve righteousness, I've missed the whole point. So Jesus spends this section of Matthew chapter 6 saying, This is important! You've got to know this. And he laid out the whole structure so that we would see the apex is pray to your Father this way. Giving is important. Fasting is important. But prayer is the most important. And if you can't see it through the structure, you're not going to see it. And again, the Bible is full of this structure. And we're wise as biblical interpreters, which we all are, to know that this stuff is out there. And we're not always looking for it under every rock, but the Old Testament is full of it, the New Testament is full of it, and we need to see where the emphasis is placed. Not according to how we lay it out, but according to how it's actually structured. So this is a big deal. And I really kind of wondered, should we even cover it? Because God cares about chiasms. So we care about chiasms. Okay? I don't care what you call it. Call it pyramid. I don't, I don't care. Chiasm sounds funny. So pay attention when you see these things structured that way. That's, and again, this is where a good commentary helps because they'll point these things out. You're like, oh, I didn't see that structure. But it's there. It's why we do what we do here so that you might see it. So I would, I would appeal to you, brothers and sisters, go back over chapter 6, especially verses 1 through 18. Pay attention to them. Read it. Look at it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Paying even more attention to the disciples' prayer that we looked at last week because it is huge. Huge for the rest of what we've already looked at in the Sermon on the Mount and what we will look at in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'll leave that there. But for today, let's look at application from today's passage, which is verses 16 through 18. So the clear focus of the passage, we always want to ask ourselves, what's the main thing here? And the main thing that we looked at today is to make sure that you fast, not for men's attention, but rather for God's reward. Okay, that's, that's the sermon in a sentence. So our application should center on that thought. So, three B's, bad, best, and benefits... Let's apply the passage looking at bad, best, and benefits. Bad is how not to fast. Best is how to fast. And benefits are the rewards that we get from it. Now, this is pretty cool. We do find instruction on fasting directly from God's mouth in Isaiah chapter 58. And it's actually broken down. The first five verses of the chapter are the bad part, how not to fast. The next section from verse 6 to verse 7 is how to fast, which is the best part that we're talking about. And then the last section, which is verses 8 through 14, are the benefits of fasting. So we're going to read through that and we're going to pull out of it what's bad and what we looked at today compared to Isaiah 58, what's best and what are the benefits. So 
Work with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 under the, under the heading of how not to fast, which is bad. Okay? This is God. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers." Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such a, the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is, ooh, let's stop there. That went, that went too far. So God says clearly almost exactly what Jesus said in our passage from today. He says, you fast, and this is how we are not to fast, for your own pleasure. You fast to oppress others. You fast to quarrel and fight. And you fast to be seen publicly fasting by men. Don't do that. What's that mean? For your own pleasure. The spiritual fast that we're talking about is not for the physical rewards that we receive from it. I'm not saying don't fast for physical rewards, but don't call that a fast unto the Lord if you're doing it for physical reasons. You should do it for physical reasons sometimes. But don't call it a fast to the Lord. Okay, God, I'm going I'm to throw in you with this physical fast that I'm doing. Don't do that. You do it for your pleasure. That's not a fast that God requires or asks for. You do it to oppress others, to quarrel and to fight. Anybody ever fasting you were just grumpy? And you excused it by, well, I'm fasting. I'm hungry. You're getting on my nerves. Got a headache. God says, that's not a fast. If that's your attitude, if that's your desire, if that's your action out of your fast, that's not a fast. That's you being grumpy and hungry. To quarrel and to fight, just grumbling. Is it to humble yourself? Is it to bow down your head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes? Under yourself, again, that's a public display so that people will say, oh, he's obviously fasting. God says don't do it that way. Don't do it for your own pleasure. Don't do it in a grumpy manner where you torture the people around you and don't do it to be seen by others. Don't fast like that. So that's bad. That's first point. Point two is best. How to fast. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Is not this the fast that I choose, God says, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So how do you fast? You fast by giving up what you have so that somebody who needs it can have it. You fast in secret and they don't know that you're giving up your stuff for them and doing without. Of course, I guess if you go naked, they're going to know it. Here, here's my shirt. Here's my shirt. You need a shirt. Here's my shirt. God says, that's how you fast. 
to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. So this is while I'm fasting, I'm going to God and I'm praying for freedom. Freedom for myself, freedom for the oppressed, freedom to break every yoke. Anybody just yoked with sin that you just don't feel like you can get rid of? It just keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up. What if you could undo the straps of that yoke? What if you could let the oppressed go free? What if you could break that yoke? God says fast that way. Not just for yourself. Remember we said last week there was no singular, plural, no singular pronoun in the Lord's Prayer. No I, me. It was us and we. God, break our hearts for our sin. God, break the yoke of our sin. Help us to be a holy people. God, help us to be people who are not habitually falling into the same sins over and over and over again. And yes, God, I've got this one in my life that I need help with. Fast that way! And give up your stuff so that people who need it can have it. Go without so that somebody else can have what you have even if it's the last one you have. You don't even hide your own flesh from somebody who needs your coat. I would say don't give somebody your pants here at church, okay? But what if you gave up what you had and did without so that somebody else could have? Fast that way. Why? Oh, wow. Listen to this. Listen to verses 8 through 14. And what I want you to think about are the benefits or the rewards of fasting. We said if God knows how to give good gifts to His children, we should seek the rewards that He offers through fasting. He tells us specifically in Isaiah 58, 8 through 14, what those benefits are, what those rewards are, and listen to them. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire and scorch places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Anybody want any of those rewards? Holy cow. Let me just... Your light will break forth. Your healing shall spring up. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You shall call the Lord and He will answer, Here I am. 
Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. He'll make your bones strong. You'll be like a watered garden. You'll be like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, all your heritage. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. Man, that's rich right there. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and God will make you ride on the heights of the earth. He will feed you with the heritage of Jacob or Israel, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's worth a fast or two, isn't it? That's worth going without food for a little bit and keeping quiet about it, right? You know what's not worth it? Having people pat you on the back and say, good fast, man. That's not worth it. But this is worth it. This is the reward that God Himself has spoken and says He will give you if you fast rightly. When you fast, and you fast rightly. So let me just challenge you with this as we finish up. I would encourage you to go back and really look at Matthew 6, 1-18 through as a matter of primary importance for the disciple of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to go back and look at Isaiah 58. Look at how not to fast, how to fast, and the rewards of fasting. And I would encourage you to take a day, if you're able to. Some people have medical conditions. Maybe you cut out something. But you take that time that you would have devoted to that thing. That's what he's talking about here. If you'll take take delight in the Lord, turn your foot from the Sabbath from doing what you want to do. Take the time that you would normally do something you want to do and focus on God. Do without so that somebody else can have and focus on God in doing it. Do it on purpose. Be real quiet about it and see what God does. See if He doesn't reward you. Fasting is not twisting God's arm and making Him do what you want Him to do. Well, I won't eat for 40 days. Then God will give me what I want. No. It's a matter of coming to God quietly, humbly, and saying, God, I want you more than I want my necessary food. I want help for this sin that I keep falling into more than I want breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And go do your job. And seek God throughout the day. Take your lunch and pray. Go sit in your car. Pray. Take a walk outside on your lunch and pray. Asking God to do these things that you need Him to do. For what purpose? For His reward. God, I want these rewards. I want the yoke taken away. I want to help other people. I want to know what the blessings of my father Jacob really are. I want to know what it means to have you promise life and fullness of life for me. I want to be like a watered garden. I want to ride on the heights of the earth. And I want to know what you say and I want to do your will above all else. Do it. But don't do it to be praised by man. Do it for the reward that only God can give you. Some of you may be sitting here and thinking, no, I like to eat. I do too. I really do. Do I want God more than I want my necessary food or even my pleasurable food?
Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, that's crazy stuff. I don't even know what you're talking about. Listen to me. God is real. God is the king of all of the earth and all the universe. And God is coming back to judge people. And He will judge you either for your sins or for your righteous deeds. If you have not trusted Jesus as your Savior, you will be judged for your sins. And you will be judged eternally in hell and pay the penalty for those sins that He's keeping a record of in books in heaven. But there is an escape. There's a way out. Coming to God and recognizing that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior and that, God, I need help because I can't do this. I can't save myself. He says, good, because I can. And I've made a way through my Son, who was Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross. And listen to me. Please listen to me. And took your sins upon Himself and bore the wrath of God in your place so that you don't have to pay for your sins. Jesus died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He showed Himself alive over a period of 40 days to over 300, 500 people. And then He ascended into heaven and He sits there today. Don said it this morning. Very God of very God. Very man of very man. And He lives to intercede for His people. Come to God and say, I want Jesus to save me. I'm a sinner and I believe He paid my sin debt on the cross. I trust Him with my life. The Bible says, and you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord, all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. We would have you know that before you walk out these doors today. If you want to talk about that, let's sit down and eat. Let's break our fast. And let's talk about Jesus as we finish our day. Let's pray. God, you're worth giving up some food for. And you're worth much more than the applause of men. Your reward is to be sought. And you tell us that you are bringing both your judgment and your reward with you when you return. And we await that day. We long for that day. Help us as your people, God, to humble ourselves and afflict ourselves quietly, secretly, so that you might reward us. And for those who don't know you, God, please convict them of their sins and show them their need for a Savior and show them Jesus as that Savior. And help them by the power of your Spirit to trust Him with their lives. We need you to move. We need you to do what we can't do. We need you to give us a righteousness that we can't achieve ourselves. We need the righteousness of Christ. Or we will never see the kingdom of heaven. So help us, God. And help us who have received that kingdom and that free gift of salvation. Help us to rejoice and sing your praises this day and every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said... Amen. You're dismissed. Stay and eat with us, though, if you can.